Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQBD in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, a former lake is re-emerging in California's Central Valley to Larry Lake between Fresno and Bakersfield. It was once four times the size of Lake Tahoe before it dried up after water from the mountains that fed it was directed away for farms and homes. But now, after this year's wet winter, the dams and levees that hold the water back are being overwhelmed, and the lake is rising again. It's inundating farmland, forcing evacuations, threatening cities, even reigniting water wars. And there's more water coming from record snowpack in the Sierra Nevada. We take a closer look at the return of Tulare Lake after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The atmospheric rivers that have pummeled California these last few months have meant the slow return of Tulare Lake in California's Central Valley, once the largest freshwater lake west of the Mississippi, dating back to the Ice Age when mammoths drank from its shores. It was drained for farmland a century ago. But now the nearby rivers and complex system of canals and levees that typically keep water away have overflowed, invading towns and farms, threatening homes and prisons. And when the Sierra Nevada's massive snowpack runs off, all that flooding will get worse. This hour, we look at the impact that the reemergence of Tulare Lake has already had and could have. And joining me is Lois Henry, editor and CEO of SJV Water, an independent nonprofit news site dedicated to covering water in the San Joaquin Valley. Lois Henry, welcome to Forum. Hi, thank you for having me. Glad to have you. For, for those of us who haven't seen this up close, can you describe what you've seen of this reemerging lake, what it looks like? Um, well, it's not very pretty. It is, uh, <laughs> it's, and by that, I mean, it's just, it's, it's sad and it's overwhelming. Um, you know, towns are being cut off, you know, roads are, are just inundated, bridges are washed out, um, people's farms are overwhelmed. So, you know, a lot of people think of a lake as a lovely, peaceful, you know, wonderful place to sort of visit and look at and, and, you know, the flora and the fauna and all that kind of stuff. And, and you're not, that's, that's not what people are, that's not what's happening here. It's just, it's rushing debris laden, silt laden, you know, God knows what laden types of floodwater that have been rushing down. And then now things are a little bit slowing down and, and moving, you know, a little bit slower, but it's still just, it's not pretty blue water in a lovely um, contained area that, that provides all the kinds of things we like to think of when we think of a lake. So, 
it is a it's and this is this valley is my home and I I grew up here so it's it's kind of hard to watch it's it's awesome in that in the sense of the word awesome of like wow I can't believe the extent of this but it is not it is not a pretty happy peaceful moment for the people who have to live here yeah well thanks for sharing that it's reemerged before Tulare Lake in 1983 and 1997 but Fair to say, then, what people are seeing and facing now is unique. Um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't covering it in 1983. Is a little bit young to be doing that, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, from everything I've heard, uh, it wasn't it wasn't an e- it was not an easy time then either. But there's more infrastructure. There's hard, there's a larger population. There are more people. You know, and it's not just Tulare Lake. These rivers are coming down out of the mountains to the east, and Tulare Lake is on the you know further west side of the valley. So they are, you know, scouring through towns and communities on their way to um, to the lake bottom. And so it's just been, you know, I think an overwhelmingly difficult time. And a lot of people are preparing for an even harder time as the snow melts. You know, we're all hoping for a nice, cool spring, you know, into summer so that we don't get that rush, because what happened in in March or, or actually backing up a little bit in late December and through January, we got a lot of storms that dumped a lot of cold snow at lower elevations. You know, the, the higher snowpack was packing up as well, but we got a lot of snow in the lower elevations. And then March 10th was this warm storm called, you know, sort of a pineapple express type storm. And it it not only drenched us with a lot of rain, but it also washed down that that low snow, washed out that low snow elevation. So we just got a huge rush of water all at once. And now, you know, that's that's receded a little bit as we kind of go back into normal snowmelt, but it's still the reservoirs are full to, you know, to spilling and the floodwaters are, are you know, sort of settling down and into, unfortunately, people's homes and, and, and areas like that. So we're all anticipating that it's going to be uh, even worse if we get a hot spell here. Yes, and all that snowmelt starts coming down. And as you say, the population, as I understand it, has roughly doubled both in Kings County and, and surrounding areas as well. Um, and you mentioned that it's not just sort of the the lake itself, but also the rivers that are coursing and, and overflowing and so on. So when you say that the lake is returning, how is it actually returning well, right now it's returning in pieces. Um, remember, it's a very highly plumbed piece of uh, ground. And so um, the lake bottom, you know, it's obviously been known as a lake bottom, you know, since it was drained in the 1890s. And so it's crisscrossed with a number of levees and canals. And so the the water, to a certain extent, can be maneuvered. You know, at some point, it, it's just going to go where it's going to go, which we just saw last week with the Pozo Creek but it can be blocked from one area and and led into another area and so you're seeing it's not it's not like this sort of you know semi oblong shape of a lake that we all envision you know these are these are flood cells that are you know square so you're seeing a square here a square there and a square over here you know kind of filling up as as they um can move water so it's 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 a little odd. It's not like what you would think of as a lake refilling. And who owns most of the lake bed? Most of the lake bottom is owned by the J.G. Boswell Company. Um, they uh, came to um, 
the, this area in, uh, I think, 1924 and started uh, growing cotton and, um, you know, emerged as a very large corporation. They, they grow uh, still a little bit of cotton, but mostly processing tomatoes, safflower, and now they've gotten into um, uh, pistachio trees. There was a, a press conference that Kings County Sheriff David Robinson had uh, late in March, where he described how, because J.G. Boswell is a global food supplier, that that Boswell land or this lake bed being inundated will actually have global effects. Let's just hear a little bit of that. This will impact the world if people can just grasp that. These farmers and ranchers feed the world, and we're going to have a million acre feet of water covering up an area that feeds the world. And that million acre feet of water isn't going to go away anytime soon. It isn't going to go away anytime soon. This is because there's no natural sort of outflow of this water to the sea? Right. The Tulare Lake bed, you have to remember that the Central Valley or San Joaquin Valley is it's a former uh, inland sea. And the uh, Tulare Lake bottom was the lowest point. So all of these rivers, the including the Kern River, which is way down south here in Bakersfield, um, the Kern River, the Cahuilla, the Thule, the Kings River, and then all of these un, you know, <laughs> un, unthought of streams that are now raging rivers, the Pozo, the Lewis, the, all these different streams. They would run to the Tulare Lake bed and um, and they would fill that up. And in, in you know centuries past, if it was a big enough water year, you could actually it, they would flow north. The, the Kings River you know turns around and flows north into the San Joaquin River, which goes all the way to the Sacramento San Joaquin Delta. And um, there are you know there were steamships that would uh, go back and forth from San Francisco all the way down into Tulare Lake when it was a big water year. Um, mostly though the water sits right there and it, it, it evaporates or it percolates back into, um, the soil. So, uh, when I talked to one of the farmers who was there in 1983, he remembered the, the water being on, um, his dad's ranch for the better part of almost two years, he said, cause it's not fast. None of it goes away fast. And is that how long they're projecting the water to be there this time around? Yeah, supposedly this is a much higher snowpack, so they're anticipating more water coming down. Um, and so it could be a foot or two feet on top of um, the ground for the better part of a year and a half to maybe two years. And it's not just Boswell, by the way, that's, that's you know, having land flooded out and um, it, it disabling their ability to farm and provide food. Yeah. A lot of farmers, a lot of farmers in the area, because we're also getting flooding to the east of um, Tulare Lake, something I've been writing about for several years about subsidence because of groundwater pumping, but that's a completely different story. <laughs> so. Well, but do you want to talk quickly about subsidence and why people are pointing to that also making the flooding so extensive this year? Yeah, so, you know, we've, we've been in a drought for uh, several years um, right before this uh, massive amounts of snow. And then we had, you know, a couple of decent years before that. And then we were in another massive drought, you know, from 2012 to 2015. And at the same time, there was a reduction in the surface water that came from the state through the state water project uh, for environmental concerns. So many farmers turned to pumping groundwater. And in that particular region um, up there around the Corcoran area, uh, which is in the Tulare Lake bed, 
the, the reason it's called Corcoran is because uh, the substrata is made of Corcoran clay. And when you take the water out from that Corcoran clay, the, the layers within that substrata, they collapse on top of each other and they don't rebound. So you saw, you've seen this massive sinking in that area. In fact, NASA has um, documented it from space. And a lot of that was sort of what, well, I know it was changing the, the flood zone maps because uh, high-speed rail did an engineering report that I wrote about a couple of years ago. So you're starting to see flooding um, east of Corcoran and south of Corcoran, which you had not seen previously. And I don't know that we know the extent of how the flood zones are going to be changing. And I think we're going to be in for a very um, unfortunate education as the snow melt comes down. We're talking with Lois Henry, editor of SJV Water, and you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. What are your questions about the reemergence of Tulare Lake? Are you directly affected by the return of Tulare Lake? You can email forum at kqed.org, post on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or call us at 866-733-6786. John writes, in 2016, I helped a CNN reporter explore by kayak the San Joaquin River from its headwaters to the Pacific and report on the challenges that the river and its communities face. I've been watching Tulare Lake with similar thoughts. Who are the stakeholders in the Tulare Basin other than agriculture? Are First Nations and Fish and Wildlife Voices active here outside of the small reserve at the southern end of the original lake bed? Lois? I'm sorry. <laughs> um <laughs> Those reserves are, they were trying to take water earlier, um, but it was, it's difficult because they are actually on a, they're actually a higher elevation. Um, You're talking about the ones to the south, the Pixley Wildlife Reserve and the um, Kern River, I'm sorry, the Kern National Wildlife Refuge. I assume that's what this listener is asking about. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm trying to turn off these um, notifications. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you apparently have a lot of listeners. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And listeners, join the conversation. There's going to be more after the break, and you can use that break to turn off your notifications. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Tomorrow on the show, we look at the AR-15. It's been used in 10 of the 17 deadliest mass shootings since 2012, according to a Washington Post investigation. We look at how the deadly weapon that was never designed for civilians has become the best-selling rifle in the U.S. Today, we're looking at the impact of the reemergence of Tulare Lake with Lois Henry, editor of SJV Water, a news site dedicated to covering water in the San Joaquin Valley. 
And we turn now to how nearby residents are coping. The town of Allensworth is situated on what's now Tulare Lake's shoreline, home to many of the people who grow and pick the produce of the Central Valley. It saw some of the worst of the recent flooding. It faced evacuation orders, impassable roads. And joining me now is Coyote Kadara, community advocate and advisor to the Allensworth Progressive Association. Coyote, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for the invitation. Describe for me what it's like in Allensworth now. As How things I, calm down? Yeah. As I sit here looking out, it's sunny, uh, slight breeze. It's so confusing. It looks so gorgeous. And to think we are still surrounded by water. We've had to. We've had some of our residents evacuated. Uh, we most people are back, but it's so confusing. And I, I want to thank Lois also for being on and create uh, providing this extensive background based on her work and her dedication. Yeah. She set the stage very well, at least for someone like me. <laughs> we are surrounded by water. We have agencies, various organizations, uh, Cal Fire, the county uh, fire departments, and various other uh, organizations out here helping to ensure that flow from Deer Creek. Th these are the rivers and creeks that uh, Lois mentioned earlier that are now alive, that came back to life. North of us is Deer Creek that typically has a very, very little water flowing through it, if any. Now it's uh, crested uh, over the road, flowed over several hundreds of acres out there. So you have all these organizations that are assisting to shore that up to ensure that the water doesn't come back into Islandsworth. We have Pozo Creek, as Lois mentioned earlier, that runs south of our community. Because of some of the politics, and I'll leave, I'll leave that to the politicians to deal with, but because of some of the politics of water in the region, the Boswell Company essentially refused to allow uh, the flow, this heavy flow from Pozo Creek to go in so into their homeland canal. Uh, fortunately for a whole lot of us, uh, this water found its way into that uh, canal last week, we understand. But you have organizations, Deer Creek Stormwater District, an 83-year-old man running around trying to, to save our community and his community of Alpa. Mm -hmm. uh, he is the director of this Deer Creek Stonewater District. So he's done a lot of work helping to ensure water doesn't come back into our community from Pulso Creek, from Deer Creek. Done a lot of work also on White River. White River flows from the uh, foot from the Sierras westward and hits, uh, comes to our community. Uh, I mean, it's, it runs perpendicularly to our community. So it comes uh, west 
our community is essentially where it ends up. You have a highway, you have BNSF, this is the railroad, uh, railroad tracks uh, directly west of the highway. You have culverts and bridges under the tracks. So when this water flows westward, it comes under the road, some of it comes under the road, there are pipes that allow it to flow under the road, come over to the uh, between the road and the rail tracks, and all of this water is supposed to flow north. For some reason, we've gone through this process now for the past three weeks. It just dawned on us we're not experts in high, uh, in hydrology and similar water-related uh, 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 hmm. professions. But as a community, we've gone out, we've tried to plug those uh, pipes, pumping water to the railroad side, because as the water comes to the railroad side, it flows directly into the eastern portion of our community. So as I said earlier, I'm sitting out here. It's a gorgeous day. It's dry outside. Most of our communities, basically what I'm describing, except the eastern portion of our community where mm. this water flows in uh, unrestricted directly into one of those culverts, one of those huge pipes that go under the rail tracks. It so, dawned on us. Sorry. Uh, well, I guess what I was going to say was, yeah, it sounds like you're wondering whether or not the way that Allensworth has flooded is really because of natural forces or landowners handling the water in certain ways. I am curious, though, uh, your community is predominantly farm workers, as I understand it. And with a lot of these floodwaters inundating farms as well, how are they doing? How are they coping? Well, uh, you have low-income uh, community members whose life depends on being able to go to a farm and earn a living. With all the water, these uh, uh, community members have essentially been at home, no income, but we are grateful to quite a number of organizations, Red Cross, the county, uh, various uh, nonprofit organizations, self-help enterprises that, that have essentially come to our aid with food, uh, commodities, and other supplies that families need. So mm. a lot of these families are without an income, but they are being sustained by all the different organizations and we're very grateful uh, for that but let me let me talk very quickly again about the issue with the water coming into the eastern portion of the, of the community it dawned on us uh, a few days ago after all these weeks finally dawned on us that the the, uh, the direction or the the framing of this water to come into our community is intentional and unreasonable. Uh, the water is supposed to flow north, but at this one location where water comes into our community, 
the flow, the design flow pattern was changed from going north to going west. So the water is focused into this one pipe, this culvert that sends water into the community. This structure or this barrier is within the uh, right of way of BNSF, the railroad company. Why it was done, we don't know. We can't come up with any plausible reason why this barrier was created to focus flow mm. to our community. This is, this is where we are now because this just dawned on us that somebody intentionally did this. Uh, the railroad company has come back and dumped gravel into portions of this uh, 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 westerly border. There had been a cut to allow some of this water to flow north. The railroad company came back with truckloads of rocks and plugged the northerly uh, uh, cuts, which essentially uh, indicates that they intend for this water to come through the pipe under the rail tracks into our community. Yeah, Those are some of the challenges we're going through right now. Things are slowing down. We thank God for that. But with this snow melt coming, we want BNSF to remove this barrier because it's we find no reason for it other than somebody intended for water to come into the community by this diversion. We're talking with Coyote Kadara, community advocate and advisor to the Allensworth Progressive Association in southwest Tulare County. Coyote, I'm glad to hear that things have calmed down and that you have such a beautiful day. But with the snowpack melting and those concerns around that, I can hear your real concerns about how Allensworth will be treated. I should mention we did reach out to BNSF Railway for comment. They did not respond to our outreach. But Lois Henry, I do want to ask you about a lot of tensions that you've reported on in the area, a lot of politics and accusations around what areas, what towns are getting flooded and why uh, Coyote is focused on BNSF. You've also written a lot about how it's been aimed at J.G. Boswell Company. Can you talk about some of the things that people there are saying? Um, yeah, and Doug Burboon can, you know, probably uh, really elaborate on this, but um, I, I've i been listening to the Board of Supervisors meetings and a number of um, farmers um, came to the March 18th uh, special meeting that they had um, and accused Boswell of pre premeditatedly, and that's their word, um, pushing water onto other farmers. And the Boswell group had a presentation at that meeting in which they explained that their um, their technique and their sort of their, their plan was to push the water into these uh, outlying flood cells. Remember I told you there's these sort of like grid-like, you know, um, flood cells around the lake. And they wanted to do that first to move that water up into those areas, given the fact that we're going to have this huge uh, snow melt coming down. And I think it's 3.1 million acre feet uh, that they're talking about coming just from the Kings River. And remember, you know, there is a number of other river systems that come down into the Tulare Lake system. Um, anyway, their, their their concept was that they would they would move this water up to the up to these higher elevation cells around the fringe of the lake and save wa- save the room and the capacity in the lake bottom for uh, this this much larger impending flow um, and try and, you know, 
sort of manage the flood that way. But like I said, other farmers don't see it that way. They feel that um, Boswell was, again, in their terms, premeditatively flooding out other people in order to save their own ground. And in fact, um, I just uh, last week went out and looked and um, in the south, the southern portion of Boswell's land. And remember, this is 132,000 acres. It's just a vast wow. landscape. Vast. It's, a, it's unimaginable unless you're standing in the middle of it to sort of look around. And even then you're sort of like awestruck by the fact that you're standing in literally an ocean full of, you know, just land everywhere, you know, flat land everywhere. Anyway, I did, I did find that they were planting, um, they had transplanted tomatoes and um, they were farming that. And then they had sent a letter to their um, employees uh, it, March 28th saying, yes, we're going to be planting tomatoes. We're going to follow that up with safflower and some cotton. So the, so that's what's happening now is there's sort of this um, disconnect between what people feel you know, is being said, uh, oh, we're saving this ground for flood water and what, you know, people are seeing tomatoes on the ground and then, you know, plans for more uh, farming. And not to say that people shouldn't farm, they employ people, obviously it provides food. If you can get a crop out, that's great, you know, if, if that can be done. But the concern now among other farmers is you can't be doing that at the expense of other farmers. Uh, so that's kind of the push and pull of what's happening politically and there's there's a lot of very high tensions in the area. Yeah. I should also mention that we reached out to J.G. Boswell Company, um, but they did not respond to our request for comment as well. I do want to bring Doug Verboon into the conversation, supervisor for Kings County. Doug, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Just wanted to hear how you are governing through the tensions that Lois is describing here, flaring between farmers, J.G. Boswell Company, you know, land rights, water control, but at the same time, the need for protection from all this water for communities like Allensworth and for other farms that are being inundated by it? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a slippery road. Uh, you know, it's a small community, so we know everybody. So no matter what decision you make, you affect somebody you know, and it makes it difficult. So for that reason, we started a, a, a emergency operations center which is about 17 people that manage all the calls that come in, but take the political part out of it. I know the gentleman Cody talked about the, the water from uh, Homeland Canal. I know we had the Homeland Canal starts uh, uh, north in the county called the Highline Canal. And it broke, there's so much water came in so fast, it broke and we, we had to dam it up and cut it back into Cross Creek. So it wouldn't flood the town of Corcoran out or even go past the Allensworth. And I know mm -hmm. I, I did a, a, a tour and I noticed they had blocked it uh, outside Corcoran. We were getting so much water coming down so fast from the, la the two storms, March, February 24th and March 10th. Uh, by, the, by the seven day, six or seven days after that March 10th storm, we had a wall of water coming in two miles wide uh, from uh, uh, Tule River, uh, Pozo Creek, Deer Creek, White River, just barreling in on our community. And, and on the 18th, we almost lost the, the prison uh, in Corcoran. Hmm. So we couldn't take any of the White River water or the Pozo Creek water to Corcoran, or we'd have had 7,000 inmates underwater. And it didn't start reciting and going down at all until about four o'clock on that Sunday afternoon. We were getting ready to cut some more levees to get the water going out further. And if you re remember, the water came down so fast from February, uh, from March 20, March 10th, 
it was a warm rain and it was uncontrolled. Uh, you know, it came below the dam, over the mm -hmm. dam, and it, it broke out, you know, in Springville, tipped in. The banks are just demolished on the Tule River. And I believe Pozo Creek, Deer Creek, and White River are the same way. We couldn't control it. You know, here these creeks have been dry for years, a lot of dead brush in it, and it just would plug up the weirs, blow out the sides, and then then you throw in the personal aspect of it. Someone loses their their dairy's underwater, or their chickens underwater, or they lose their house, and then they blame the guy downstream that water hasn't even got to his place yet that he's holding it up. Yeah. And so yep. the Kings County Board of Supervisors took an action. Uh, to take that pressure off. And we went out and we cut a levee in the Boswell's property to let the water go down to the bottom of the lake to help relieve the pressure uh, from the entrance to Tule River into the Boswell property. Hey, Doug, you, you, yeah, yes, I'm but, just curious, though, you mentioned the prison. Is it possible that the prison would need to be evacuated, especially if the snow melt comes down hard? Yeah, there's a chance for that. Uh, we're doing everything in our power not to let that happen. Uh, we're looking right now to add more uh, feet on the Corcoran levee around Corcoran. We'd like to have four more feet added to it. I think it's a five to seven million dollar project. Uh, we have a little bit of time to get that done, but we have no money. Uh, but the, the problem with the prisoners on that day of March 18th was the, the water wasn't contained in the creeks. It got spread out and it started coming to too far north where we have no barriers to slow the water down. Hmm. So that was, that was, a, a, we hope that doesn't happen again. You know, we've never seen rain like that before in our life. And that was a warm rain, which melted some snowpack. And, you know, Lois made a, a, a reference to the snowpack up in the hills. And she said 3.1 million. The, the new measurement came out at 3.6 million. So that takes about 150,000 acres of land to put that over on. And Boswell has access to about, hundred thousand acres so we're we're about five we're we're a few acres short of having enough room for the water so uh wow. it's going to be interesting uh we're doing all we can to to get as much water out of the dams as we can right now and get it to the lake bottom and i get a finger so i'll, I'll return after the break <laughs> yes we're talking with doug verboon supervisor for kings county and we'll have more with him and our panel after the break stay with us i'm mina kim Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the reemergence of the San Joaquin Valley's Tulare Lake with Lois Henry of SJV Water, an independent news site that covers water in the San Joaquin Valley, with Doug Verboon, supervisor for Kings County 
uh, on the Kings County Board of Supervisors. Earlier, we heard from Coyote Kadara of the Allensworth Progressive Association. You, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your questions and comments about the reemergence of this lake and the impact that it could have. And let me go to Jonaki in Sacramento. Hi, Jonaki. Uh, you're on. Thank you, Mina, and thanks for the program. Um, I work with Community Water Center, and we work in the Tulare area on infrastructure and governance solutions with some of these small communities that are impacted by drought and contamination, and more recently, the same places that have been flooded. And I really want to thank Mr. Kadara and, and to Lois for raising these issues to the state line of sight. Um, an underlying issue here, which I think is maybe lesser understood by the general public, is that much of the physical infrastructure that we see Uh, When we're driving through the state, all those canals and ditches conveying water from our reservoirs to farm fields, they're they're managed by irrigation districts. And many of those districts, which are governmental entities, they're special districts that are created under California special district law. But many of them are operated undemocratically. In in order to run or vote, you have to be a landowner. And those are the people who are going to be making critical decisions about operation Mm -hmm. maintenance that then... Uh, have impacts on the lives of low-income people living in those floodplains. So I wanted to raise that since it's a really important fact for how state agencies can take action in times of crisis and often the inability for low-income people to obtain any recourse for deliberate or accidental ditch or canal breaks. Well, Jonaki, thank you for raising that. And and speaking of, of state action, I actually want to bring into the conversation Carla Namath, Director of California's Department of Water Resources. Carla, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I understand you are joining us from uh, the area. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing in the Tulare Basin? I am down in Tulare County uh, today uh, with my colleagues at the Corps of Engineers um, who have arrived on scene. They've been with us for a while in the incident command uh, post in in Tulare County. Um, We are uh, taking a look at some of the flooding, but also working on the the critical effort to understand and plan for the snowmelt, which of course, as you know, is, is going to generate the, the reemergence of, of the Tulare Lake this year. Yes, I mean, it's at like triple the levels. It's at a record level. We just had a call from Jonaki who alluded to just a patchwork of agencies, people, landowners responsible for trying to keep the floodwaters at bay. How is the state working with this uh patchwork of agencies, given the fact that I imagine they have certain authorities that the state doesn't have and so on? Certainly. So we're working um, with all of those uh, individual irrigation um, districts and flood managers. We do every year. Um, In advance of the rainy season, we have what we call preseason meetings to ready ourselves. And just last week, we brought together those same um, entities to work on a plan for managing these floodwaters. I think one of our most significant challenges is like other parts of the state, a regional flood plan um, does not not exist here. It really is a patchwork and of course, 
flooding and, and protecting folks is, is a landscape scale kind of endeavor. Um, so the department is, is working with those local districts to get as much information as we can about the hydraulics in the region, the state of the various levees. Some are private, some are public, um, so that we can understand um, where that snow melt, it's, two things are, are going to happen. Um, it will come out in these watersheds um, in, in channels that in all likelihood won't have the capacity to, to carry all of that water. So there will be some localized flooding. And then ultimately that water is destined for the Tulare Lake bed and where we put that water and how we protect communities is um, critically important uh, for the state. And it's the underpinning of the work that we're doing um, at the local level with these districts and with the counties. And I just wanna say hello to uh, Kings County Supervisor. Um, just a lot of work to do um, to, to get ready for um, what's going to be a long duration flood event. Well, what's your response to the concern that this will be an undemocratic process at the expense of lower income communities of color and so on with less power to be able to make decisions around how the water is moved around? Well, ultimately, um, these local districts have the authorities to make certain decisions. But when we get to a state of emergency, of course, the counties have certain decisions. And then um, the state has um, some authorities to um, direct where floodwaters would go. Um, what we want to be doing is really working hand in glove with the local counties, um, all four counties, Fresno, Kings, uh, Tulare, and Kern. Um, those, you know, have the main tributaries um, that will be coming out of the Sierra with, with all of this snowmelt and, and directing that water um, into the lake bed. So what we want to do is, is be working with those counties um, to understand decision-making and encourage the counties um, to, to be directional the way that they have been. Um, I think we, we heard from the Kings County supervisor about, you know, decisions that, that they've been making um, to, you know, demonstrate ways in which we need to, to protect um, some of the local communities. Um, and it's, it's a challenge that we have uh, throughout the state, I think sort of dated, um, dated approaches to, to flood management that really don't take into consideration the particular vulnerabilities of, of, of under-resourced communities. Um, and that's, that's changing and it, it, it needs to change. Well, this is right. Should there be any concern about the manure lagoons on dairy farms in the flooded areas and the dangers of that manure leaching into the aquifers? Another listener, Marjorie, writes similarly, what is the likelihood that Tulare Lake floods livestock waste lagoons or floods the Tulare Lake compost plant? Doug Verboon, can you talk about that? What are the issues with contamination of the water, especially, you know, livestock manure and so on? Well, so far, the, the dairies that are, are impacted, they were able to get ahead of it and put dikes around their whole property. The hardest thing we had to do with the dairy was getting the people and the feed to and from the dairies. So we were able to maintain the dairies. One dairy, we, we, we had to t remove the cows off of. But as far as L.A. compost is concerned, we're working mm. hand, in, hand in hand with them at the same time. And they sent us a map where they have put their product on their ground. And we're going to put a dam around the whole property, not to lift up that compost leave their property not to contaminate any other ground so we will give them water to spread on the ground but keep the water on their property uh, the whole time not to spread out to the neighbor's properties so, so you mean you're talking about the human waste from la that's processed nearby as well 
not just correct. The, correct. Yeah, they, I think they have fifteen or sixteen thousand acres, and so we're uh, we're working with them hand in hand, along with the Boswell Corporation, because they have the access to the tools, and they don't want the contamination from uh, LA Sanitation to go onto their their property uh, for future farm farming uh, practice. And so we're going to make sure that whatever water is put on that property stays on our property, not to contaminate their neighbors. As far as the dairies go, uh, we're doing all we can to keep the water away from the dairies. We did have a break in one of the Cross Creek levees, and we had to move uh, a couple of dairies. Uh, we were able to get 40 trucks. So the dairies got together, 40 trucks, and one day moved, I think, 20,000 head of cattle feed and all. So it worked out pretty well. People are really coming together great on this project. Well, another listener writes, why can't all that water be pumped underground to help refill the depleted aquifer under the Central Valley? Carla Namath, are there discussions about getting rid of the water or draining it as a possibility? Or or could the water be sent to other places? Carla Namath, are you there? Well, the last time, yeah, sure. Can you hear me? I can, sorry. Okay, great. Um, Well, the last time we had this real significant flood event of course in the late 90s but it was really in the early 80s and it took about two years to drain what became uh to larry lake and that water was essentially uh, sent to southern california I, I think there's real value you know as as the listener points out we have critical overdraft problem uh, with our groundwater basins in this area. And I think this does give us collectively the opportunity to be working with the counties and the groundwater sustainability agencies to um, generate projects that can over time, um, you know, drain the lake bed, uh, but also put that water underground in, in different in different locations, of course, because the, it's the clay soils that, you know, prevent that that natural groundwater recharge, which is occurring in, in other parts um, of, of this sort of four county area. Uh, but it is an opportunity to uh, keep as as much of that snow melt actually in the area. We would just want to get it underground. Uh, to do so. And, and um, that should be our, our long duration um, uh, water planning project. And, and we want to have that conversation uh, with the counties and with the local groundwater management agencies. Well, we're getting several comments along these lines. A listener tweets, could this be a good reason to start different ways of working with water instead of controlling it? Should we return the lake area to wetlands on a temporary basis, advance permaculture instead of agriculture? Another listener writes, flooding of these historic wetlands sounds like a good thing. Maybe it will help recharge their groundwater. The North might be able to use more of our water to restore our fisheries. Embrace the change. Stephen writes, the indigenous people who live in the Tulare Lake area dealt with the ebbing and flowing of the lake in wet and dry years. We later settlers could learn a lot from how to live more in harmony with nature instead of arrogantly trying to dominate it. Doug Verboon, is there a discussion among, you know, the people there around keeping the lake or trying to maintain it for environmental reasons? Is there well, that, that would be, uh, I can, I can identify that. So, you know, one thing that the lake does for our small community was provide income and, and jobs for a lot of workers. Just filling a lake up for one year uh, is about a $2 billion deficit to the income for our community, which funds our roads, our, our schools, uh, provides work for people, which provides uh, income for the people working at grocery stores, uh, the, the drug stores, the, the jewelry shop, the, the car dealerships. So 
we can bring it back a, as a lake, but it, it's not consistent. You know, we've only been flooded out uh, in my lifetime, uh, 69, 83, 97, a little bit in 17 and some in there. So it would, it'd be dry most of the time. And I think we, we manage it pretty well. I think the Boswell company done a good job departmentalizing the water and put it up a higher elevation and bring it down to use later. Um, it would be great to have a lake here and, and, and uh, lakefront property, but it's not consistent. And, uh, you know, it's been here for, a, you know, I, I say a million years. My family is from the Sorry Lake Bottom. My great-grandfather homesteaded it down there uh, and his, his dairy barn's underwater now, but it's never been underwater before. So uh, it, it'd be nice to, to keep it a lake, but at the same time, we need the income to run our government. So that's how I see it. We're talking with Doug Verboon, Supervisor for Kings County, Carla Namath, Director of the California Department of Water Resources. We're also talking with Lois Henry, editor of SJV Water, which covers water in the San Joaquin Valley. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Well, looking ahead, uh, Carla Namath, do you think that the state, uh, the local jurisdictions will be able to avoid the catastrophic impacts of the snowmelt come late spring, early summer. How confident are you that they will be able to do that? I had heard like a resident in Allensworth suggesting that they feel like they're sitting ducks with regard to the snowpack. I'm just curious, based on your assessment at the state level and the state acting as a backstop, if you think that that's possible. Well, I I do think um, it is it's a significant challenge, a bigger challenge than we've experienced before. Um, and there, there are going to be significant impacts, n- no question to the agricultural um, economy. And of course, you know, that supports communities in a lot of different ways. So those, there will be significant economic impacts that are of, of longer duration that I think hmm. will um will be more significant even than um, the drought impacts we've experienced, you know, these last couple of years. It's just the, you know, the submergence of um, areas that are otherwise uh, very productive agriculturally. Um, But, you know, there are choices that, that we can make and the best way to um, manage those impacts is to do the adequate uh, pre-planning that, um, that we need so that we can identify um, the mo- the you know the least impactful places where we can essentially park water uh, for for the duration of um, you know potentially you know two plus years mm-hmm. you know depending on the volume depending on um, how much water we can get underground and those sorts of questions. Sobering, Doug Verboon, how is the county preparing now for the snowpack runoff to come? So right now we're doing emergency preparedness. All the people that are going to be impacted, at least in my district, we're going to expect a lot of snow snow melt on the Kings River. So I've had a town forum, uh, town hall meeting about two weeks ago. We're going to do another one in about two weeks, teaching people how to prepare their their property for a a massive water coming out at one time. We're going to do everything in our power to keep it controlled, but we want them to protect their wells, protect their septic, and protect their animals, get it off the ground. And, uh, you know, we only have so many resources to save them. If we do have a flood, it won't be a wall of water, but it will be coming up and it will infringe upon their lifestyles. So we want people uh, not to get caught off guard. The difference between 1983 and now is we have a lot of technology that's been developed, cell phones, uh, uh, computers, Internet, uh, GPSs. So there's no reason why individuals 
be left off guard. And social media, we get the message out fast. I mean, I put together a 250 panel, a 250 people meeting in less than 40 hours. And uh, people are willing to, to listen and give ideas. We've gone through over 100, 120,000 pounds of sand to do sandbags on about 300 homes that, that may be impacted. So we still have a ways to go and we have a couple more weeks to prepare. But right now, the county just trying to repair the, uh, the damaged levees if we can and teach people how to take care of themselves. And uh, hopefully we get through it by August 1st, we're all done. But it's gonna be a tough uh, couple months come uh, into May, May and June, uh, if that if it gets really hot fast. So we gotta be able to handle it. Ellen writes, what discussion is there about the fate of the many thousands of farm workers who are already losing hours of work or their jobs? What is that discussion, Doug? Well, you know, Boswell's trying to farm their higher elevations to keep their employees, uh, uh, manage their employees. It's not, you know, that, that's the biggest farm that's affected. We have some smaller ones, the three to 6,000 acres. Uh, I'm not sure what they're going to do. Uh, it's going to be tough. We'll have to take care of them and come together as a community and, and support those people that are out of work. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's my first uh, first emer- emergency or disaster I've ever had to deal with. So I'm learning as we go along with everybody else. You're a fifth-generation resident of the Tulare Lake Basin, Doug. Has any of this made you rethink that being there move yeah well you know if you read the king of california book chapter three is about my grandmother she was the largest boating accident on tulare lake back in 1935 and so my grandfather made sure i was i knew the history of the cherry lake bottom and you know there's not a lot of structures out there not a lot of people but uh you know it's part of our lifestyle and we have to accept that it is a lake it is in our area and it will get wet time to time so uh we have to deal with it as it comes. And our problem this year is just going to be the fact that there's so much snow, 3.6 million acre feet of snow that has to come down when it gets warm. So we need to manage that. And that's the biggest concern I have right now, keeping keeping Corcoran safe, keeping Stratford safe, and making sure the island people and island district are safe as well. So that's a number one priority at this time. And Kings County Super- yeah. Kings County Supervisor Doug Verboon. California Department of Water Resources Director Carla Namath, SJV Waters Lois Henry, and Allensworth Progressive Association's Coyote Kadar. Thank you for joining us earlier as well. Thank you. I know all three of you will be monitoring this extremely closely, and uh, we will too. And we're thinking about you. Thank you, Caroline Smith, for producing today's segment. Thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.